Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the New Testament book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, and chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Listen again for the word of the Lord. After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 elders, uh, 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night without ceasing they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weekends ago, I sat down to watch a movie. My kids were gone, my husband was somewhere, so I had complete control. And I was looking for something charming and uplifting, so I I typed in Matthew McConaughey to the search engine. And I found what I was looking for, a movie with Matthew McConaughey. He made his fortune starring in romantic comedies, movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and The Wedding Planner, Fool's Gold, and Failure to Launch. And with him as the lead in the movie, I knew exactly what I was getting. So I pressed play and settled in. Two hours later, I'm cowering in my seat, horrified, because Matthew is falling, not falling in love with a beautiful stranger, but falling into the heart of a supermassive black hole. I did just say the word supermassive black hole. I don't know either what a supermassive black hole was doing in the middle of my romantic comedy. I felt like it was the worst rom-com I'd ever seen. And it turns out that the movie I was watching It's not a romantic comedy. The movie was Interstellar. And it turns out that Interstellar 
isn't about star-crossed love. It's a movie about space travel and the fourth dimension and the strange powers of gravity. Now, we all think we know about gravity. My kindergartner knows about gravity. He said, Mommy, gravity is when you throw something and it falls to the ground. Things go down instead of up. And he's right. That's how I would define gravity, too. We experience it every day. We see the effects of gravity all around us. Gravity feels so familiar that we might even imagine that we actually understand it. But here's the thing. We don't understand gravity. You don't understand gravity. I don't understand gravity. Stephen Hawking doesn't understand gravity. Not the smartest physicist in the world understand gravity. We've got a, a few physics folks here today, and so uh, you can ask them about this later, but there are four fundamental forces in nature, and if you ask a physicist which force is the most problematic, they won't say that it's the, the weak force or the strong force, the electromagnetic force. They'll tell you the most problematic force is gravity. Gravity doesn't look like the other three forces. It doesn't act like them. It's such an anomaly that gravity has inspired entire fields of study. One of the central questions in modern physics is how to reconcile the strange behavior of gravity. All this to say that gravity is a thing we think we know, we think we understand. We don't understand it at all. But gravity isn't the only mystery we face. Today is Trinity Sunday, and today we tackle a mystery of the church. When we pray, we sometimes end with, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever wondered why, hang on, I'll try to tell you. Uh, we have the central belief in Christianity that God is one and God is three. And sometimes we call these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And sometimes we use different words. Some of our, our fourth century theologians, uh, St. Augustine, he preferred lover, beloved, and love itself. John of Damascus liked to call it sun, light, and burning ray. Others have suggested things like creator, redeemer, sustainer, speaker, word, breath, mother, child, womb, rock, cornerstone, temple, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. But no matter how creative we get with our description of the three, we're still stuck with this incredible claim that God is three and God is one. And so the church is the only place I know where one plus one plus one equals one. It's terrible math, but it's good theology. Because, see, when early Christians considered the nature of God, trying to describe what is God, they noticed that God doesn't always fit in a nice, neat box. Sometimes God shows up as spirit and breath. Sometimes as a powerful king or judge. Sometimes God shows up as wisdom or instruction or a word. Sometimes God shows up as a suffering servant. God defies our need categories. And what's more, God doesn't always abide by grammatical convention either. In our Old Testament passage from Isaiah, you might have noticed something strange in verse 8. God is musing to God's self, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
Who's us? And this is just one example. If you remember back when, when in Genesis 1, when God created all things, God said this, let us make man in our image. Again, who's us? Or when God noticed the people were building the Tower of Babel, God says, let us go down and confuse their language. Add to this that one of the Hebrew names of God in our Bible is Elohim. Elohim. It's not a singular noun. That's a plural noun that means gods with an S. But when it refers to God, big G, it takes a singular verb. So it's, it's the only plural noun I know of that takes a singular verb. And I think that's about right. Throughout scripture, God flaunts our grammatical rules. God breaks out of our human categories. Dr. Brent Strawn, an Old Testament scholar at Duke, calls God a category buster. He says that God blurs boundaries, much like God's divine attendants blur boundaries. And we've seen a few of these already. Both of our readings today are visions. Uh, the first was a vision from the prophet Isaiah. The second was a vision from John of Patmos, who wrote Revelation. And in these visions, both of these men are, are in the presence of God's throne. In both, they hear singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In John's vision, he reports that God's throne is circled by four creatures. They are similar to, but not exactly like, a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. Each has six wings, and each is covered with eyes, inside and out, if you notice that. You might have also noticed there was a rainbow that looked like an emerald. I don't know what that means either. Isaiah reports a similar sensory overload when he gets into the presence of God. He reports seeing hybrid beings called seraphim. These are, see seraphim, that's a plural, seraphim, multiple. There are fiery creatures with human features and wings like a bird. So in both cases, the throne of God is surrounded by these hybrid beings. They're neither one thing nor the other. And lest we think these are cute and cuddly, remember, these are, these are kind of mutants. They're, they're kind of like monsters. They would be terrifying for us to see. Eyes inside and outside, before and behind, always seeing you. Wings, animals mishmashed together. But when we see these hybrid beings, we know that we're in the presence of God. And maybe they remind us that God also resists classification. Gregory of Nazianzus, a fourth century theologian, noticed how the Trinity points to a God who blurs boundaries. I love what he writes about the Trinity. This is what he writes. No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. And so God is one, and God is three. God is eternally in relationship, and God is eternally a unified whole. God is complicated. I've been researching Matthew McConaughey lately, strictly for professional purposes. And I learned that in October, he published a memoir called Green Lights. Bruce Van Sickle read it and recommended it. I'm currently on a 200-person waiting list at the Cobb County Library for it. 
Next month, I think as of tomorrow or Tuesday, he'll be featured on the front page of AARP magazine. So now we all feel old. This is not random publicity, though. This is uh, calculated groundwork being laid for his next big project, which is a run for office. In which office? Governor of Texas. Governor. I mean, just right to the top, right? He doesn't know what party he would represent. He doesn't have a platform. He is a Hollywood star with a fashion model wife and no political experience. And I feel like we've read this script before. And yet, 45% of Texans say they would vote for him over their current governor. 45%, that is a lot of votes for a man without a website. And maybe it'll happen, I don't know. But I'm pretty shocked because Matthew McConaughey fits into my neat little box of romantic comedy leading man. I'm very happy with him there. I don't want him in a space movie or writing books or at a political rally. I just want to know if he and Kate Hudson lived happily ever after. I want him to be simple, maybe you do too. But people aren't simple. Hal McLean is our Beatle this morning. If you met Hal at a party, you would think he was a nice guy with a good sense of humor. But in 10 minutes, you'd only scratch the surface of who Hal McLean is. In the two years I've known Hal, I've learned that he has lived all across North America. He helped build some of the runways at JFK. He once lived on a coal mine camp in British Columbia. Hal has been a Boy Scout troop leader, a college professor, He has a thing for Jeep Wranglers, milkshakes, and a wonderful woman named Sandy, who he had the wisdom to marry 42 years ago. I know enough about Hal to know that I know nothing about Hal. There's always more to learn, and that's true for all of us, because people are complicated. You might be sitting next to someone you've known for decades, and you can still be surprised by them. This weekend was graduation weekend for a lot of the schools in this area. And I always remember back when I was serving as a youth advisor, one particular year that I went to like five graduations in one weekend, trying to support all of the youth. One of those graduations was for a brilliant, talented student who only months earlier had come home and told his mom he could see two paths ahead for him, pre-med, or art school. And this was a single mom who had clawed her way into a career, and I think she might have been a little concerned. Choose the one, and your next 10 years are laid out before you. And you end up with a decent paycheck and a decent job. And choose the other, and who knows? There's not as clear a path in the art world. So it's been 10 years, and there's been a lot of coursework in that time. There's been several fellowships and grants. And today, he has shown his pieces on three different continents. I keep up with where he's at next from his mom's Facebook page, and she'll post a picture. My son made this sculpture. My son did this installation. My son is an artist. And he's happy, and he's blossomed. And I think that's a gift we can give one another. 
the gift of honoring the mystery that sometimes the person closest to you may not fit in the box you have in your mind. The mystery that we are all more than the categories we like to fit into or put other people into. Maybe what we can give each other is a gift not to contain or constrain one another, but open the lid and encourage one another to become our fullest selves. And when we honor the mystery of one another, I think we practice honoring the mystery of God. And this is why the Trinity matters. It's not a puzzle to be understood any more than a human being is a puzzle to be understood. The Trinity invites us into a lifelong relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And in this relationship, we may know in part, but never in full. We're simply invited to honor the mystery. We may experience the presence of God. We may be able to point to God, like we can point to the effects of gravity, and yet God is and will always remain beyond our comprehension. There's something else that's beyond comprehension, I think. It's Christopher Nolan's movies. Now, some of you may have heard of him, and some of you will have never heard of him. So let me tell you, he was the visionary behind that movie with the black hole in Matthew McConaughey. That was a Christopher Nolan movie. He's known for sci-fi thrillers. He's known for over-the-top stunts. Like a few years ago, he bought a 747 jumbo jet just to light it on fire and crash it into a warehouse. He thought that the computer graphics wouldn't do it justice. And he might have been right. I've seen that scene five times, and I still have no idea what's going on in it, but I do know that the airplane crashes into the building. That's what I got from it. And so when I think about these visions of Isaiah and John and Revelation, I think about the experience of watching these Christopher Nolan movies. You you can't even get your mind around it. So in the end, you stop trying to understand it. You just feel it. You just experience it. In fact, I think that's what we do here in worship. In worship, we don't try to understand God or unpack God, we experience God's presence. We experience Isaiah and John's vision today. We sang this morning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And when we do that, we don't just remember the story, we become part of the story. And maybe the advice that we can take when it comes to the Trinity is to really focus on experiencing. Experience it. Don't try to understand it. Just feel it. Feel how God is present with us. God as one and God as three. Witness the movement of the Spirit. Receive the grace of the Son. Bow to the glory of the Father. And feel the presence of God, even when you can't explain it. Honor the mystery. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.